It's the Brexit Breakdown Podcast from the UK in a changing Europe. Hello and welcome to another Brexit Breakdown Podcast. I'm James Miller, author, journalist, podcaster, man on a mission to find out more about Brexit. And to that end, on this episode, I was joined once again by Professor Anand Menon, Director of the UK in a Changing Europe, and by Tony Connolly, Europe Editor for the Irish State Broadcaster, RTE. Uh, Tony kind of rode a perfect storm at the end of last year when his book Ireland and Brexit came out. And then just a few weeks later, it dawned on the UK press and politicians that the Irish border question was going to be critical to whether the EU agreed sufficient progress had been made to allow trade talks to begin in December. So he was in demand to share his expertise. Uh, and now we get the benefit of that same expertise as uh, UK and EU negotiators are trying desperately to unknot this conundrum that Brexit has thrown up around Ireland and the Irish border. Anand and I met Tony in a coffee shop in the shadow of uh, St Paul's Cathedral, so there's uh, a bit of background noise, but I've managed to keep that to a minimum. I will be back at the end of the chat with some observations and admin and all that sort of stuff. But to start, here's Anand asking uh, a very obvious question. Everyone says Ireland is the issue. Just for all our sakes, can you tell us why? It's because of the border, um, because if Britain is out of the single market and customs union, by necessity it becomes a third country, and that by necessity creates a border. It's been described as a mechanical consequence of Britain being outside those structures, um, and that uh, immediately undermines the Good Friday Agreement, uh, which, uh, along with the single market, made the Irish border invisible. So from a position of a border being invisible to it being something with infrastructure, hardware, uh, and all the division that that would bring, uh, that means Ireland is a major problem. Britain has to decide whether it's going to be uh, completely out of the customs union and then how it will resolve the Northern Ireland border, whether Northern Ireland remains in the customs union and single market as the EU has recommended, or whether it will have to scale back its ambitions itself to, to stay in the customs union and then abandon its dreams of a, an independent trade policy. Um, I mean, another reason for... I suppose a more selfish reason why the Irish issue is, is important, uh, why Brexit is important for the Irish government is that most of Ireland's trade, uh, bilateral trade, is with the UK. 65 billion annual trade yeah. both ways. So while... We'll, we'll come back to that, yeah. because it's the other side of the coin. But yeah. I mean, so just to be clear, and leave the customs union to one side, because I think you know, even Jeremy Corbyn gets that, you have to have a border if Northern Ireland is outside the single market too. Yeah. And in fact, even even if Britain stays in the customs union, that's only part of the battle yeah. uh, because the border is necessitated by the question of standards, of regulations, of uh, the, the quality and nature of food products, of animal products, of uh, animal health, a whole range of things that nobody ever cared about until uh, 2016 and the Irish border came into prominence. Um, and these are tricky, um, you know, devilsome details that will have to be sorted. Um, and uh, the, the way it's being sorted at the moment from an EU and Irish point of view is that you have Britain committing to keeping Northern Ireland within 
largely within those structures. So, given your expertise in Brussels, given what you've just said, well, first of all, is it going to get fixed? Is there a solution? I mean, from what you've just said, it sounds like the worst Rubik's Cube ever. It is. That's a, good, that's a very good uh, description of it. Um, well, Ed Miliband could fix it then, couldn't he? He could do it in a few seconds. He certainly could. <laughs> where, where is he when we need him? Can anybody fix it? Um, I mean, I think it, it, it boils down to who suffers the most pain. Um, it, this, this will be a very difficult um, nut to crack or thing to swallow uh, for Theresa May. Dependent as she is on the DUP, she has made it an article of faith that she cannot uh, accept the, the, the way that the solution as advised by the EU and the Irish government uh, is structured legally. So uh, essentially what they're saying is if you want to avoid a hard border, the only way to really do it is, is for Britain as a whole to stay in the customs union and single market. Yeah. But if not, then Northern Ireland should stay in the customs union, that there's no um, checks or controls on goods going back and forward, that a suite of issues that relate to the single market would be would still apply to Northern Ireland in order to facilitate North-South cooperation. Um, and that's going to be a very hard thing for the Conservatives to swallow. Uh, if they don't, then according to Donald Tusk, there will be no deal, there will be no withdrawal, there will be no transition. So we are getting back to another hardball reckoning on, on Ireland. Can I ask a couple of questions based on that? Firstly, go back to the 65 billion. Yes. Is there conceivably a moment when Dublin blinks first, where actually the British government either gives the impression of or genuinely thinks it would rather go to the wall and have no deal than do this? And Dublin starts to think, this isn't just about the border, this is about trade as well. And so actually, we're going to have to push this into phase two, into the trade talks. Because it seems to me that's what the British government is trying to do, it's trying to play chicken. I think, yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think the Irish view is certainly that the, that the British government has known fully all along that the, the, the landing zone for this would be the customs union and single market for Northern Ireland. And that, that was clear when they, they started this mapping process last summer where they, they had to look in granular ways at, at how North-South cooperation works, where does it collide with mutual EU membership. And the Irish believe that the British government is entirely disingenuous when it says, oh, we're not, we're not standing for this, this is outrageous, this will, this is, uh, will undermine the constitution of, of the UK. Um, so for that reason, I think the Irish government uh, has staked its own reputation uh, on playing hardball. Uh, now, the reason they can do that is because they have the support of the 26 behind them, they have the support of the EU institutions, they have the support of Michel Barnier, Donald Tusk, uh, the, the EU task force. And also, uh, the, you know, there is a fragile um, arithmetic in Ireland, not just in, yeah. in the UK. You know, Theresa May is not the only person who has a, a delicate hold on power. Um, so, you know, a, a, it's, it's understood that a general election in Ireland could happen, you know, at any time over the next 18 months. Uh, so I can't see the Irish government blinking so long as they have that support uh, from the other countries and from the institutions. Do you trust the 26? I mean, there's a lot of fine talk about how, you know, this is a vital interest for our dear partner in Dublin, and so we will go to. But actually, behind the scenes, a lot of member states are tutting a little bit, aren't they? I mean, do you do you trust them when push comes to shove, and we get to that vote by qualified majority vote in the council? Yeah. 
Do I as a as a as an Irish as an Irishman? As an Irishman. As a, not be, as an analyst. I, an I have Irishman. to be neutral at all times, yes. of course. Um, I mean that, that that is certainly a question that is asked a lot. Um, every time I ask uh, officials in the Council, which of course represents the member states, they say that uh, so far the support for Ireland has held solid. Um, I mean, a, lot, a lot of this is down to the work that the Irish have done at a diplomatic level in Brussels, but also the fact that ultimately, when it comes down to it, are you going to support the interests of a member state over or the interests of a third country? And I think historically, the EU will always opt for, for its own. And that is a, something that the Irish government feels is forgotten by the UK, and that the UK has a somewhat supercilious attitude to Ireland's place as an independent member of the of the European Union. Um, certainly, I've heard people say that the Irish issue will become an irritant as the, as the talks go on, because a lot of countries don't understand it. And, yeah. and, and you know, uh, there are countries like, uh, let's say, Croatia, um, who, who are distant from, you know, geographically from Ireland, don't really get the complexities of it. There are countries like Italy, which have a you know, fairly big uh, trading exposure to uh, to, to the UK. Um, but for the moment, uh, that uh, that unity is there. Well, Do you think Michel Barnier regrets being the first person to say nothing is agreed till everything is agreed, which we now parrot back to him? Well, I, I think the Irish government certainly regard that as a comfort blanket at the moment because I think there is a certain spring in the step of British negotiators following the March Council because they yeah. they got the transition, they got starting, they got to start the the, the future relationship talks, the, you know, they, they've, 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 they've been dragged kicking and screaming into phase two um, and the belief among the British negotiating team is that ah, now that we're talking about the future relationship, we, link. we can we can drill deeply, more deeply into issues that relate to the yeah. Irish border according to the way we would like to fix yeah. it uh, than we were allowed to before because before we were in phase one we couldn't talk about trade um, now I, I think again the Irish view of that would be well you still have to agree to the backstop of this idea of Northern Ireland staying in the customs union and single market because that's what you committed to and the the task force and also the, the council agree with that and there's language in the March yeah. Conclusions to say all commitments made in phase one have to be adhered to. Now, of course, there's going to be a scrap over what those commitments meant in the joint report back in December. What exactly does the UK mean by alignment? What does the Irish government mean by alignment in terms of the single market and customs union vis-a-vis Northern Ireland? So that's a scrap that's going to be had. But I, I detect a, a a stiffening of resolve by the EU and, and the Irish government in, in, in the past week, in the past days actually, uh, on this issue because my understanding so far is that nothing that the UK government has produced in the negotiations since March uh, have been in any way convincing. It's uh, it's reheating, they say, what's, yeah. what they've said before. Do you not have some sympathy with the British government's position, which is what the EU is asking for? is basically to take a chunk of our country and make it into a protectorate under a different legal system. I mean, that's that's going to be hard for any country. Well, David Davis has said um, pretty much the same as that, that uh, you couldn't have a uh, part of a country that is in a different customs arrangement with the rest of the country. That, like would, that, would, be, David Davis. that would be... Uh, 
You did very well. Yeah, I'm fine. Because that with the real Alan Meadow. That would be, uh, he said that, that would be against uh, national sovereignty. The Irish government's rebuttal to that is uh, a small little island of uh, China, or not, uh, not is it a piece of territory. Yeah. Yeah. Hong Kong is part of China's sovereign territory, but it has its own customs arrangements and trade arrangements. Um, and China is a sovereignty first uh, country. So the notion that this undermines the constitution of the UK, uh, the Irish would say that's nonsense because the constitutional arrangements of the UK and the Northern Irish position is copper fastened by the Good Friday Agreement and that it is entirely possible for Northern Ireland legally to have a different customs arrangement to the rest of the UK without undermining the constitution. But your average, your average Brexiter doesn't talk about the constitution, they talk about sovereignty. I mean, that's, that's the issue. It's something a bit more intangible, this notion that the Brussels legal system holds sway in part of our territory. You must admit, it's politically problematic. Oh, absolutely. I, I can see how that's problematic, not just not just to Brexiteers. I mean, it's problematic to, uh, to unionists, both democratic unionists, as, as we know. But I mean, I've, uh, I've spoken to Ulster unionists, the more, if you like, moderate wing of unionism, many of whom actually supported uh, Remain, who are furious at direction of travel here they say hang on a second you know northern ireland staying in the customs union while the rest of the uk is out that's uh, that puts us on a different um status and par from the rest of the uk so that is a hard should thing northern to ireland get a referendum on this uh that would be a very interesting prospect because don't forget the majority of people in northern ireland voted to remain mm -hmm. um there is a very powerful economic argument for I mean, just imagine companies in Northern Ireland who exactly. are... No, who that's, are. An ins that's an insane suggestion, and you well know it. Why? <laughs> because if you had one in Northern Ireland, Edinburgh, Nicholas Sturgeon would go, hello, we voted to remain yes. as well, can we have one? Yeah. It's just not a flyer, is it? Come on. It was a hypothetical, I think it's quite an interesting hypothetical. I mean, we are... Ch Too you know, hypothetical. One of, one of the, solu the solution being proposed by Brussels fundamentally changes the status no, of Northern Ireland within the United Kingdom. I, I don't, right, I mean, again, I'll defer to the expert, but surely the solution, it, Brussels is not proposing that as a solution. Brussels is proposing it's that the, as a fact. It's the form, yeah, okay. Yeah, so that, yeah, but still everyone's there, trying I mean, to find a, a better the solution. The thing is, like, everybody knows that, uh, you know, it's like an Easter egg hunt saying, you know, okay, if you don't find the other two Easter eggs, you, know, you get this one, knowing full well that there are no yeah. other it's Easter eggs. when you've got no batsmen. Oh, right, hang on, right. This is this is the confusing thing, right? Because first of all, right, we done it. We done Brexit. So isn't it up to us to have... Brexit, you to, fix it. Up to the Brexiteers to have come up with a solution. I mean, I, again, I know we get sometimes accused of rerunning the referendum, but surely this should have been thought about more before the referendum, because it got no pickup whatsoever. I can't remember anybody mentioning this well, in any serious got, way. You have to come up with a story now, but I wouldn't start from here. I mean, that was just <laughs> oh, yeah. an open door. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but isn't that true? I mean, you know, you're saying, oh, Brussels are trying to, uh, you know, annex Northern Ireland. Well, you've done Brexit. Come up with a better idea that doesn't yeah. involve blimps at the border or magic, magic robots or something. Isn't that? I mean, it's that. Well, in the, in the same way that, uh, you know, that, that you're saying that, the, that, that Brussels wants to uh, change the status of Northern Ireland. Um, Brexit changed the status of the Good Friday Agreement. Yeah. You know, that's that's the that's the kind of comeback that the Irish government will will constantly say. And of course, there, there are very important semantic differences between 
how, the, how Dublin and London interpret the Good Friday Agreement. I mean, D- Dublin sees it as Dublin sees North-South cooperation as a uh, sort of an ever-evolving, sort of sacred uh, part of the Good Friday Agreement, whereby you can't put any impediment in the way mm-hmm. of that. So, if if the Republic of Ireland um, through EU membership suddenly benefits from a, a more liberal um, digital single market in, in the European Union and Northern Ireland is deprived of that, then that inhibits the all-island economy, it inhibits various concepts of what North-South cooperation actually mean, it would inhibit the way day-to-day cooperation might function. So it's for all those reasons that the Irish government have been pushing this hard line saying that you know, the Good Friday Agreement means all these things happen mm. now because both sides are aligned. The way things work for health, for education, for waterways, for the environment, um, all of those things work energy. because things, energy, because things yeah. are aligned. So, without naming any names, and on a scale of 1 to 10, where 10 is the most and 0 is the least, how angry is the Irish government with the British government? Certainly back in November, they were, it, was, it was a 10, because that was when the, the, the notion of Northern Ireland staying in the customs union first appeared in a, an internal working paper by the mm-hmm. Michel Barnier's task force. And David Davis came out two days later and said, this is outrageous, you know, we're this, this, we, we, we cannot, uh, while we need to fix the border, we cannot change the status of uh, the United Kingdom. Now, the Irish government were furious because they they said, look, you, you've known this is where it's where it's at. You know, you've known this is the direction of travel. You spent the summer looking at all the areas of North-South cooperation, 142 areas. Where else did you think this was going to end up? Okay, and you know they, they felt that they were deliberately kind of waving the Union Jack or, or stoking DUP fears by talking about because because that is the the, yeah. the red rag um, uh, more than a dog whistle. I mean that was really going to get the DUP's backs up. And those backs have remained up uh, ever since. Um, so there was a lot of anger back then, and there was a meeting in Gothenburg. You'll remember between Leo Varadkar and Theresa May. This tiny little room. Their, their knees were probably touching under the table, and there was a that was a very difficult meeting because the I- Irish government was saying, "You want us to take a leap in the dark and trust you in phase two that this will all be sorted? Uh, we're not doing it." And Theresa May saying, you, "We cannot abide by this." idea of Northern Ireland remaining aligned uh, or no divergence between um, North and South in, in the rules of the single market. And both sides came out spinning completely differently. Uh, and, and I think that was the, that was a low point. Um, now, I, I think, you know, a lot of people in, in Ireland are angry because of Brexit, because livelihoods are at risk. Uh, people who were happily trading with the UK in, in uh, agri-food uh, before Brexit happened, uh, now I suddenly face uh, a loss in livelihood. Um, there's a, there's a threat to the border, obviously. There's a, there's a but it's more general than that. Isn't it? I mean, I see it on my Twitter thread. If, if ever I say slightly the wrong thing about Ireland on Twitter, yeah, my Irish friends get yeah. angry. Oh, they you, don't they, argue. The, the border, they get but, angry. And this, and this, what's driving that anger? Is it you know? Is it a lack of understanding? Is it? You know, the fact that Britain, like I say, you know, people like me go, well, as long as there's no more bombs, as long as nobody dies, it'll be okay. But of course, if you live in Ireland, it's your, as you say, it's your well, livelihood. It's, 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 yeah, it's every day. Like, is, is it anger because we don't understand it? Well, or is I think, it perceived I th- arrogance? I, I think um, what Brexit has done is it has uh, reawakened uh, 
historical reflexes between the Irish and the British that go back, you know, why stop at 800 years? I'm sure it goes back <laughs> further than that. You know, um, and you do get, especially on social media, I mean, if I, I, like I try and avoid the comment on my own Twitter line, I, I, I use it as kind of, um, you know, a news line of stuff happening or links to stuff I've written. But anytime I mention Brexit and the border, there's a furious reaction. On, on Twitter and it goes on for days and yeah. I'm, I'm tagged into it and it's like it gets down to the blood-boiling rhetoric of nationalism and loyalism uh, and well that probably end well won't it That's, yeah uh, <laughs> and, and also you know I, th I think I think at a, at, a, at a higher level you know there is in certain parts of the Irish government a, a an antagonism towards what is perceived as British arrogance and, and, and high-handedness about well the Irish you know they'll roll over in the ends you know dear dear, dear Paddy will, will you know will not stand in the way of Brexit um, and you know that is felt quite acutely uh, in the Irish government at times now I think I think the the bonds that have been forged since the Good Friday Agreement and because of the historical closeness of the two islands um, you know th there is a strong family connection there that will survive and the, the, the relationships at, dip, at diplomatic level are, are quite good. I mean, officials who work together on Brexit, you know, have known each other for years, yeah. you know, work, have worked together on and off for a long time. Uh, and I think those relationships are, are still quite solid, but you can see, you, know, you don't have to look very hard to see uh, how this has become very toxic. Is it changing the politics of the North? I mean, you hear anecdotally about unionists who are applying for Irish passports and basically this mm. is just making them rethink their identity, their mm. future. Yeah. Is that is that real? Oh, I think absolutely. Brexit has has kind of you know sent people fleeing back into the trenches in a way. Um, I mean, you can see in the breakdown of the, who voted for Leave and who yeah. voted for Remain. Yeah. I mean, Catholics are more likely to vote Remain and Unionists are more likely to vote Leave. There's a big debate in the Irish government at the moment about whether the business community in Northern Ireland and the farmers who tend to be kind of unionist with a small U, uh, or, or actually the farmers who tend to be DUP supporters, whether they will sort of eventually say, well, actually, <laughs> we'd like to stay, you know, closely yeah. aligned or whatever, um, and, uh, and, that, and that unionism would start to have a conversation with itself, but I don't think that's happened yet. Do you think Irish unity is much more likely now than it was prior to the referendum? I think... But Very apt. That's the, yeah. Yeah, that's the opinion police come to take you away. That's nonsense. You and your hypotheticals. I think the question of Irish unity had sort of got caught in a, in a kind of a sort of a stagnant pool for a long time. You know, it, it was there as an aspiration by Sinn Féin and, you know, probably a passive aspiration by a lot of Irish people but they weren't pushing it but Brexit has entirely changed the dynamic of that debate because it now is a is a beacon in a sense for people who want to stay in the European Union uh, because the Irish government managed to get uh, language into the negotiating guidelines about if Northern Ireland votes to remain to be part of the uh, United Ireland then it would automatically be part of the EU so that that is out there as a as a sort of a, mo a motivating factor. See? Um, yeah. <laughs> I, well, well, Ali was the first All-Irish president. I, I, you know, he said yeah, she would right. leave, actually, if that ever happened, uh, as in leave, leave Ireland. 
Anand, first of all, I have to draw attention to the fact that you spotted Ireland as a massive problem ages ago, one of these very early podcasts. You said, that's going to be the problem come December. So, you know, well done you. But has your opinion changed on the likelihood of it being resolved in a satisfactory manner? No, I find it... I mean, it's... You you sound more positive today than you did about six months ago. Well, I've just had a few days off. But, uh, I mean, for me, the issue is it can't be solved in a manner that is satisfactory to all the parties involved. I mean, that's the problem, isn't it? Who will be be sacrificed? No. I mean, I know it doesn't have to be... Not everybody has to get exactly what they want, but it has to be satisfactory to everyone. Someone has to lose. Uh, I mean, you could say they're in the terms, I don't know what you think about this, Tony, but in the terms of the, uh, the joint agreement from December, there were sweeteners there in terms of having a border in the sea. And the yes. sweeteners were, you get to have political consent to do this. And if I remember rightly, Northern Irish businesses had the right to trade on the same terms before, even if there was a border. Unfettered access. Yes, yeah. Which I immediately thought, A, that's weird if you've got a border, and B, that's where the, the government wants to go. It is laying the groundwork for that. But the DUP haven't said, oh yes, we could take that. They've said, absolutely not. So someone has to lose. Okay, well, following on from that, here's the big one. What's going to happen? The thing about the the reassurances that time you mentioned in December, it's it's, it's paragraph 50 for the wonks out there. Paragraph 49 talked about alignment. Um, paragraph 50 was the reassurance to unionists. That was seen... Um, very profoundly by the EU at the time as not a, a commitment by the EU to the DUB or Britain. That was seen as an intra-UK commitment. This was something that the UK was promising Northern Ireland. The other funny, ironic thing was that that extra reassurance to, uh, to Northern Ireland in the text was seen as a bit of a, an unexpected windfall by, by Dublin. But I spoke to a cabinet minister who said, well, actually, if, you, if you're not going to have any barriers between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK, that means all of the UK will be more tightly bound to the customs union. And that solves our trade problem. Uh, I have a stroke. Um, now, I think, you know, as the dust has settled, the Irish government uh, don't believe that quite explicitly is going to happen. But... I think there is a long-term calculation by the Irish government that the backstop, uh, this full alignment idea, won't come into effect until the beginning of January 2021. And so you have a long period of time when the idea of Britain staying in the customs union or a customs union will be metabolized by the British system and that this will have a, a less antagonistic confrontational outcome. So your prediction is that the backstop will come to pass? Um, My prediction is that the British government will have to swallow uh, fairly unambiguous legal language on how the backstop will work. Um, That Northern Ireland stays in the customs union. Northern Ireland stays in the customs union. And a large chunk of the single market. Yeah, because there's no way around it. I mean, you you can't you can't be a little bit pregnant. You know, oh, there's, there's this a... is very disappointing. So there'll be no magic robots at the border. No airships. Because they would have to buy Jacob Rees. They would, have, they, they would oh. have to land somewhere and be refueled, and that would mean infrastructure, and we're not having any infrastructure. Oh, Before you meet him again, I promise I will teach him about <laughs> drones. Because he insists on saying air, airships and blimps. They were going to have airships. 
drones. And so, um, the people at the Legatum Institute said airships. That's what they were talking about because, you know, they're from the 19th century. They haven't got other drones yet. The Legatum Institute? Yes. They're from the 19th century? Well, <laughs> their ideas of what they call Legatum. I've had this discussion with them. Why are you going to make Artemis It's an edit. Someone said something boring or illegal. Maybe told some slanderous story about Boris Johnson. You'll never know. Right, let's move on to the features. Best thing! Oh. Worst thing. Tony, what is going to be the best thing about Brexit? My book, actually, uh, you know. That's clever. That is because you're not like... allowed to recommend your own stuff in the recommendations. <laughs> but you've recommended right. your own stuff in the best thing, worst thing. The um, best thing about Brexit is I think people have had to learn the hard way about EU law and <coughs> the customs union and the single market and the ECJ. Uh, I, mean, I mean, to me, it's a debate that, that probably should have happened during the referendum, but I know that that's not the way referendums work. Or indeed, work. 40 years ago. Or 40 years ago. Um, why are Brexit books? I mean, you're sitting here, you two. Your book is called Brexit in Ireland, and yours is called Brexit in British politics. Why? Is it because, you know, that's what they're about, and you couldn't think of a more interesting title? That wasn't is my it because title, actually. that's what comes up in Amazon, and you need to have an SEO title? My, my original title was Falling Out. Ah. Uh, because uh, you often hear about Britain falling out of agencies and falling out of the single market. Of course, there's a big falling out between Britain and Ireland. But the publishers thought they needed something a lot snappier. My next title was Republic of Brexit, which I, they didn't really like. So it was just then Brexit in Ireland and just have to go straight to the... I think there's an SEO issue going on there because um, I don't want to compare your books to porn, but I was listening to a podcast the other day. Have you read them? Uh, by John Ronson. <laughs> yes, obviously. Um, uh, John Ronson said that porn films these days have to have really obvious titles because that's how they get picked up in SEO. So it has to explain exactly what's in them and you can't call them uh, more, uh, how would one put it, more subtle titles that they might have had back in the day. Yeah. So basically I'm saying your books are influenced by porn somehow. No, it's um, a complete lack of creativity in my case. Oh, well, there we go. Uh, Fair who, enough. Who, who, who would be Stormy Daniels? <laughs> oh, God, blimey. Uh, are you even allowed to mention her name? Uh, he said it, sue him. Um, the worst thing about Brexit apart from people comparing your book to Paul? Well, I, I will, you know, leave, leave the consequences of Brexit to, to people who are British. It, it, it has caused an awful, an awful lot of problems for, for Ireland, uh, both commercially, economically, and it has really driven a wedge between two communities in Northern Ireland that were not entirely, but were largely trying to reconcile themselves around agreed principles and structures. And now Brexit is, is like a a grenade being lobbed into the middle of it. I, I think it's uh, you know, caused, caused a lot of um, resentment and anger and uh, uncertainty. Okay, and finally, uh, our never-ending list of, never-ending, it will end when the series ends, uh, our list of recommendations, the feature known as... In the unlikely event, this podcast has not enlightened you sufficiently. Let's start with you, Anand. What have you got for us Start with Tony, this week? Oh, you, you knew you were coming on here. Yeah, I know. I, I forgot this bit. See if you can come up with a song because we're doing, <laughs> trying to get a playlist together. Tony, uh, what would you recommend? I mean, I think the BBC Brexit Cast uh, podcast is is very good because it it, uh, it tries to deal with uh, difficult, weighty subjects, but in a sometimes light-hearted uh, way. Um, but the problem with the problem with with this issue is that you can't 
sort of short circuit the complexity of it. There's, there's no easy explanation because it, it, it boils down to Britain wanting access to a single market which is deeply complex and, and multi-layered and something that has evolved over 30, 40 years and that it, you know, tortuously tries to accommodate the wishes and aspirations of not just 28 countries but, but all the kind of sectors within those countries, all the lobby groups. Um, and it's, it's by definition a complex thing. Sure. Um, and I will reduce it to something much less complex by pointing out that Katja Adler's on the Brexit cast, the BBC's Europe editor. Yes. Do all you Europe editors hang out together? We do. Do you live in a big house or go partying together? We just go partying all the time together. Fantastic. In, I mean, in, I don't know any other Europe editors, let's be honest. In, but, you in know. pubs. Um, well, we, I mean, there, we, we see each other a lot in I bet you dispatches <laughs> in uh, Brussels. And I have been on the Brexit cast a few times, so I yeah. have a special affection for it. Peter Foster in The Telegraph. Who's he? He is their Europe editor. He's had so many scoops in the last year, it's been quite remarkable. He gets really good interviews and his stuff is always worth reading. I found that really insightful, really helpful actually. People talk about how Ireland is this really complicated problem and on one level it clearly is. I was quite proud of my comparison to a very difficult Rubik's Cube, because of course nobody has ever thought to compare something difficult to a Rubik's Cube before, have they? On another level it's quite simple, it's about the people that live in Ireland and trying to solve the border, it's not about much more than than that, I mean appreciate there's, there's all sort of different strands to, to what the border means, in some ways it's difficult to solve because it is so simple, <laughs> if it was complex you could tweak different parts to find a solution but uh, because there are uh, so few moving parts to the uh, fundamental conundrum it's quite a tricky one so yeah i thought that was helpful and my thanks to tony for his help oh hello um somebody's heard the theme music and come in to join us after a while hello cat still still the same views on brexit have you yes rubbish uh, very good thanks um what about Ireland? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's rubbish. <laughs> uh, you can't you can't really say Ireland's rubbish. I've been to Ireland. It's really good. You've never been to Ireland, have you? You're never going to go to Ireland. Oh, he's, he's just ignoring me. Go to sleep now. So, if you have anybody you think we should feature as a guest, please do get in touch. I've only got a few slots left in this series. So, um, yeah, if there's anybody you think we have missed and you really want to hear, do let me know and we will really try to get them on, no matter how famous or indeed unfamous they are. If you think they've got uh, a point of view that needs to be heard, uh, just shout. You can get me at Political Yeti on Twitter or UK in a Changing Europe podcasts at gmail.com. On the email, you can get UK in a Changing Europe. They're at UK and EU on Twitter and their website is ukandeu.ac.uk. My website is james-miller.com and you can see all the list of recommendations which is getting fairly lengthy now on my website. The music has again been Requiem for a Fish by the Freak Fandango Orchestra. Uh, again, I, I wait anybody to send me <laughs> either some different music or a different jingle that we could use like i say there's only a few episodes left in this run now it's beginning to tick down so if that's going to happen it needs to happen soon 
use the contact details I mentioned. And please rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. So yeah, come back in two weeks uh, for another Brexit Breakdown podcast. I've been James Miller. This has been the Brexit Breakdown podcast from the UK and a changing Europe, supported by King's College London and funded and supported by the Economic and Social Research Council. Thank you. Thank you.